Welcome to Forming the Spirit Within, a teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Riley. Pastor Brad is an associate and teaching pastor at First Church of the Nazarene here in Wichita, Kansas. He is the founder and director of the Merciful Servants of Christ, as well as the author of numerous articles. And now, here's Pastor Brad. Well, happy Valentine's Day, everyone. And thank you for the goodies that were brought here. I understand. Sylvia, did you bring those? You said Peggy made them? Oh, wow. Well, we're the fun recipients of them. They're delicious. Thank you. Well, today is, uh, today is the Feast of St. Valentine. It was actually a Christian saint. I know the world thinks of it as a very, uh, just a, a fun holiday, but it, it has its origins in the Christian faith. On the Western Church, Valentine was a monk who lived, I think, in Italy and uh, was known for bringing people together and, and spreading love in that sense of uh, a Christ, Christ way. You, you can Google him sometime, look him up, read about his life. It's kind of fascinating. But uh, I think he's just in the Western Church. I don't think the Eastern Church celebrates any Valentine as far as a religious celebration, but uh, we know it, of course. It's been passed down to us as a great day to think about those that we are thankful for and love, and the one number one person we're thankful for, of course, is Christ. And as we're studying the Gospel of John, we are deep into the book in chapter 14, and we will be talking more and more about his love, his passion, if you will. That, that word is coming to me. Judy here shared with me, she got a new Bible that's called the Passion Translation. So it's emphasizing the passion of Jesus Christ, which of course means his, his uh, dying love, love from the cross. Well, as we pick up our study, this is part two of our, of our chapter 14. We started chapter 14 last week and looked at the first six verses. And as we pick up to look at verses 7 through 14 today, and I think that's all we'll be able to get through because of the time we want to spend on these verses, I want to begin still with just the last few verses we spoke about last week, kind of where we left off, because... I wanted to give just a little bit more time to Thomas, and we didn't have a lot of time to give to Thomas last week with his words to Christ. Wasn't last week canceled? Well, last week, the last time we met, you're right. So last week we were not here. You didn't miss a thing. We were, we, we were, uh, we were canceled because of ice. But uh, the week before that, January 31st, I think it was, um, we had uh, a study. I just uploaded that, by the way. The podcast is up. But in verse 5, Thomas uh, looks to Jesus and he says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? What a great question. A great honest question. Sincere question. And I want to talk about that as we open up this morning. If you have a prayer card, go ahead and take it out and let's pray before we study this morning. Um. Let's pray together. If you, do you have your cards with you? Tuck them in your Bible and you'll never lose them. Uh, unless you're like me, I can lose anything. Um, does anybody need one? I need one. Okay, here we go. Okay, very good. Yeah, no, 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 no worries. Anybody else? Keep an extras. There you go. Okay. I did find a little uh, history on this prayer, actually. It was a prayer, uh, I guess it's a prayer from 
St. John Chrysostom, who I've alluded to many times, was a patriarch of Constantinople in the third, uh, fourth century. He was uh, quite the uh, quite the prolific writer uh, on commentaries of scripture, and I didn't realize that this had been attributed to him. I had found it in a Bible study, heard it once in a Bible study, and kind of I tweaked the wording just a little. So forgive me, Lord, forgive me. Uh, John's probably wondering what did he tweak my prayer for. Uh, I just tried to make it sound a little bit more current to us, but uh, let's pray together. Illumine our hearts, O Master, lover of all humanity, with the pure light of your divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may understand your gospel teachings. Implant deep within us the fear of your blessed commandments, that through them we may conquer all carnal desires and may be transformed to live, both thinking and doing, the things that are pleasing to you. For you, O Lord, are the light of our souls and bodies. And unto you we give all glory and praise, together with our Father, who is from everlasting, and the all-holy, good, and life-creating Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thomas, I think, speaks for all of us. And I want to emphasize that this morning. Sometimes Thomas gets a bad rap that he was the doubter. You know, we're going to hear more about him in the latter part of the gospel uh, in some engagements that he had and questions he had with Jesus when we get to chapter 20. But the reality is Thomas's doubts are real. And who of us doesn't have doubts? Who of us doesn't have questions about God and questions about Jesus? If we're thinking people at all, we should have good questions. And here's the good news. God is not uh, afraid or mad or concerned about our questions. God is not uh, mad because we have doubts or questions. He invites them, as a matter of fact. God invites our doubts. I mean, you can't read the book of Psalms without hearing all kinds of doubts in David. And Why have you forsaken me? Words like that. And those are honest, sincere human emotions. Life is challenging. It's difficult. We, we, we are placing our faith in a God we cannot see and in a story that is thousands of years old. And we're believing. And in believing, we can then see. And that's, that's a phrase that I'm going to use this morning. We're going to talk about where that phrase comes from, that it's in believing that we see. But let's think about uh, Thomas's question for a minute when he says, Lord... We don't know where you're going. Jesus has been talking about going away for quite a while. And they never get it. And they, they probably think, well, he's just going to go outside of Israel, outside to the Gentiles, and just going to hide until some of this is over with, and then come back and take control. Because remember, they're always thinking that he's the king that's going to take control of, of the government and bring the kingdom of God in a very physical way. But he says, we don't know where you're going. How can we know? That's the question. How can we know? And as we go a little further, as Jesus answers Thomas' question, Philip is going to enter the discussion with some questions of his own. And in the answers that Jesus gives, we're going to find uh, the answer to Thomas' question. How can we know? 
Jesus simply says to him, you can know because I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. So isn't it interesting to me that Thomas's honesty to be willing to ask Jesus the questions of his soul actually caused Jesus to offer up one of the greatest statements the Lord ever made. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me but through the Father. One of the most recognized, uh, powerful verses. Uh, sometimes I wonder if we really understand what it means, so we're going to pull that apart. I put those three words on the board, way, truth, and life, and we want to kind of pull this apart this morning and, and see if we can deconstruct what's being said here and understand it as they would have heard it uh, in their day. So Jesus is very, in verse 6, Jesus is very emphatic that I, in the Greek in the Greek language, pronouns can be emphatic. And it's very emphatic. He doesn't merely say, I'm the way, the truth, and life. He says, I. You can see him maybe pointing to himself. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. So it's a very, Jesus is emphasizing this fact. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now these are, what did the Jews hear when they heard this word? These are Jewish disciples of Jesus. They're good Jews. They've been raised. They heard three things. They heard the three big concepts of the Jewish faith. That God is way, that God is truth, and God is life. This is not new to them. The idea that God is way, truth, and life is not new to them at all. If we go all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy... In chapter 5, we would hear these kind of words. We would hear uh, through the inspiration of Moses. This is what the book of Deuteronomy gives us. Uh, God is telling his children, do not turn to the left or to the right. But instead, keep your eyes on the way. So there's this idea of way. In uh, Psalm 27, the psalmist says, teach me thy way, O Lord. In Psalm 86, the psalmist says, in verse 11, teach me thy way and I will walk in thy truth. So there's a connection between way and truth. So this concept of way is filled in the Old Testament scriptures, which was the Bible to the Jewish people. That was what they understood as the Bible, the Old Testament. And they understood they were part of the way. In fact, isn't it interesting that the very first name for the Christian movement was the way. It was called the way. And you'll see that in the book of Acts when you're reading in there. It talks about the way. Uh, capital W, the way. So that's a concept they heard. They understood it. And it leads to the concept of truth. And like we said in, in, in Psalm 86, it says, you know, if you'll teach me your ways, I will walk in your truth. Truth is, is found in the way. Um, let's think about this idea of truth. There's several more scriptures that would speak to that truth. Um, I, I didn't write them all down, of course, but, but you could do a little Google search on your own and you could easily come up with the number of times the Psalms talks about truth. It, it's absolutely amazing. Um, but what's the connection between truth and the way? Deuteronomy says, don't go to the left or right. What's he saying? What's the, what's the writer of Deuteronomy, Moses? What's he saying? 
there's only one way, and it's not left and it's not right. It must, if it's not to the left or it's not to the right, then it's right here where you're at. You're in Israel now. You're part of the children of God. We have a way. The whole law of Moses is a way. God's people are a chosen people. There is a way, and they believe they were the only chosen people, of course. There was no other way to salvation for the Jewish people but through Yahweh and to be part of the chosen people. And so therefore it was truth. Theirs was the only truth. There were many different religions in the world. They were surrounded by pagan religions. It's interesting to me that the ancient world was so religious. Did you realize that in the ancient world there's no such thing as atheists? Zero. Everyone believed in some god. The whole concept of atheism was not known in the ancient world. Some scholars will tell you it's a, <clears throat> it's a modern construction of a corruption in Western Christian thought. Especially, this might, I might be stepping on toes this morning, but especially evangelical thought. You're going, oh, well, Brad, what are you talking about? How could evangelicals be responsible for atheism? What is evangelical? Evangelical. The evangelical movement of Protestant, you know, evangelical people that we're, we're like, we're considered an evangelical church. What, what, how could that possibly be? Well, the ancient mind understood God as good, loving. Um, yes, he, there, were, there were consequences to not following Sin has consequences. But if we understand God in his true essence, and this is what we're going to see this morning, Jesus Christ has come to reveal who God is in his essence. In the Old Testament, they could not understand. It was not revealed to them yet because they, they weren't capable of understanding it. But what many scholars have said is that in the corruption of modern times, God has been viewed as responsible for great uh, wrath, great anger. and Because we, we read all these things in Scripture. It's there. So we have to wrestle with who is God. Is he a God of wrath and anger? Is he mean? Is he waiting to strike us down if we get out of line? Is he you know, judgmental in that sense? Or, or is he, as Jesus in the New Testament tells us, God, John writes, God is love. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Well, it can't be one. It's got to be one, one or the other. It can't be both. So many, and I will tell you, this, this, we won't solve this all in this Bible study, but it's worth your time to follow this trail. Begin in your lifetime. Begin studying who is and what is the nature of God. Because at the end of that path, all the answers begin to fit into place. And without that study, we, we, may, we may get there someday. We may study that someday. But the reality is, uh, there is an answer to why there is such wrath in the Old Testament and there is such harshness. There is an answer to that. And that answer is not found in any capricious attitude by God. Well, he can decide to do that because he's God. No, because that would be mean and evil. And God is the source of truth. God is the source of life. God is the source of love. So, without going into getting too far off the, off the trail, I just want to whet your appetite for that study. Let me just suffice it to say that very much of our modern world, and I say the last few hundred years when I say the modern world, 
has, has got the image of God all wrong. We, we, we just do. And, and it's very difficult for people to connect in a loving, self-giving way to a God that they fear to an extent that they can't understand. Now, we can never as human beings ever understand God. Okay, And it would be the height of arrogance to try and understand God. Theologically, we get into trouble to try and understand God. Because He is mystery. He is holy other. He is transcendent. He is above and beyond anything. He's the creator. We're the created. Now, doesn't mean we can't get to know Him, though. As much as He will reveal to us. He's revealed Him, and here's the good news. In the fullness of time, God revealed Himself to humanity in his son, Jesus Christ. If you want to know who God really is, look at Jesus. If you want to know who God really is, and that's that's what the New Testament is telling us. That's what Jesus is telling us in this passage that we're about to read. And that's what John is trying to convey to us. And we see that other places in the... the, uh, we see that other places in, in the New Testament as well. If we were to go over to the book of Hebrews or the book of Colossians, we would find verses, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Jesus Christ is the exact representation of the Father. Exact representation. Now, before I get too far ahead of myself, let's, let's go ahead and read some more scripture here. Because Jesus is saying... No one comes to the Father but through me. Okay. I'm going to save life for a little bit. We're going to talk about the life part last. But right now we're talking about way and truth. Jesus is saying you're not getting to the Father without me. No one comes to the Father without me. Let's read on a little bit. In verse 7, it says, and this is Jesus continuing to talk. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Henceforth, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we shall be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you do not know me, Philip? Who has seen, who, he who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Let's stop there, because this is a lot to try and consider here this morning. So Thomas is asking, we don't know where you're going. How can we know? Philip is saying, 
uh, Philip is saying, Lord, just show us the Father. You know, have you ever wanted to say to Jesus, would you just show me? You know, if you just show me, I'll understand. If you could just give me that answer, I'll understand. You know, and, and, and Jesus doesn't. He says, what does he say to Philip? How does he answer Philip? If he's seen me, he's seen the Father. Yeah, and first he questions him. And he says, have I been with you this long? It's been about three years, okay? That's a lot to absorb, though, way back then. It's a lot lot to absorb now. I mean, because you're physical, you know, and he's talking spiritual. Yes, yes. There is a spiritual meaning beyond the physical words here that we're looking for and that he was leading them to. And Jesus isn't surprised. Let's get this straight. Jesus is not surprised, really, that they don't understand everything. He's going to go on in three more, in two more chapters, in chapter 16. He's going to tell them, you guys, I've got a lot more things to say to you, but you just aren't going to understand it now. But the Holy Spirit is going to come, because I'm going to go away. I'm going to ask the Father to send the Spirit, and he will bring all truth to your minds and your hearts. That, that's coming in chapter 16. So don't think that Jesus is being hard on them in, in some, like, you dummies, you should have known. He's not doing that. But he's getting them to think. Because remember, they're going to remember this transaction. That's why John put it in here. Because he's remembering this transaction. This, this, this conversation, I should say. And, and so, he, he says to Philip, he, he's, let's look at the pronouns here in verse 9. Have I been with you so long? Philip asked the question, but Jesus' pronoun in the word you is plural. Have I been with you all? Some of your versions might even say, you all. Somebody have a version that says you all? Yeah. Now, if it, if it says y'all, that's the southern version. <laughs> okay, that's, that's, that's the way we like to talk. Y'all. Mine says, even after I've been with you, among you for such a long time. Yeah, and so yours just uses the you there like mine does. It doesn't say you all. But we know in the Greek language that that you is plural. Okay. So English doesn't show us that. The word you can mean plural or singular. But in Greek, they would use a, a way of writing it, a way of spelling the word that you know and the way you say it, the end of it. Um, but then he says, have I been with you so long you do not, that you do not know me? But the second you is singular. Jesus changed the pronoun. Have I been with you all so long that you, Philip, do not know me? So he's addressing all of them, but he's also addressing Philip because Philip is the one with the question. Truly, they all have the question, but Philip and Thomas are the bold guys that seem to be willing to ask what nobody else wants to ask. And then he says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Now, that's an interesting question. Jesus, how can you say, show us the Father? Why do you think he asked him that question? They've been with him three years. And about everywhere they've went, that's the number one question. Everyone, the Pharisees, everyone was always saying, why don't you just show us? Well, if you just show us, we'll believe. Over and over that encounter happens with Jesus. Prove it to me. Why don't you just show us? So, so Jesus, well, how can, guys, we've been through this with everybody else that doesn't believe. How can you ask that question? So, you know, we, look, we can look at our own lives. How many times have you said to the Lord, 
prove it. I wish you would just prove it to me. You know, oh, you get in <laughs> and that's the lesson of the morning is that we don't get in trouble with it because God loves us. He's not afraid of our questions. He's not afraid of our doubts. We can be honest and we can be real with God, our father. Jesus is saying that and he, he, he wants them to see we we stop and talk about the doctrine of the Trinity in this Bible study a lot because it is the defining doctrine of our faith. Okay? Nothing else makes sense unless we can believe and accept that God is Trinity. Believe it or not, there are Christians that do not believe that, or they claim to be Christian. I would say that puts them outside of the realm of what essence of true Christianity is, okay? But, but we have to stop and think about it. What is Jesus saying here? And this, this was important in the early church. This is why they had big councils. They got all the leaders, the bishops of the church around and started talking about because people were teaching things that misunderstood these very things. And they said, no, this is too important. You know, the first one, the big council was to address a guy named Arius. Arius could not accept that Jesus and the Father were one. That must, he, he, maybe they're just sort of like each other. Maybe he said, Jesus is actually the son of God, but he's not God. That's what Arius began to teach. And he actually won over emperors. There were emperors in the early empire, the Byzantine empire, that were believing in that. Um, it, was, it almost won the day, that teaching, except for some great holy men, St. Athanasius, uh, that we hear their names in the study sometimes, St. John Chrysostom, St. Basil the Great, these guys stood up and said, no, no, that is not right. Trinity, God is Trinity or, or he isn't God. And so let's talk about it a little bit. How can Jesus say, what does he mean when he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? A few chapters ago, we, we read earlier, we read how Jesus would say things like, whatever I do, I I see the Father do. Whatever I say, I, I hear the Father say it. Okay? So what, what are we saying here? I wish I could... There's no way to really draw a good analogy. I wished I had a... Uh, to, to this morning when I was planning this, I kind of wished I had one of those interactive whiteboards where it would move kind of like you could put your finger on it and move things around, you know? Because I wanted to draw a picture for you. Let me get a uh, marker here. I'll use this, I don't know, maybe this will work. I wanted to draw this idea, we've done this before, no, no good things work really, this, this triune image, okay, of the Trinity. Okay, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and, and there's somehow three separate persons, but yet one in essence and undivided. And then I, I wanted to be able to put my finger on it, you know, like you would on a computer screen, a touchable screen, and just kind of move it around. And wherever it goes, the three go. There's never a place the Father goes that the Son doesn't go, or the Holy Spirit. There's never a place that the Holy Spirit goes that the Father doesn't go. They're all, because they're undivided. Okay, and I, I wanted to give you that as a visual. If, I know it fails. All analogies break down because we're just humans trying to understand something that's truly not understandable. So we're going to have to come to a place of embracing it by faith. And Jesus is going to help us do that. Yes? Well, when Jesus was born, 
it was God in the flesh. So that's kind of one way you could put it in a way, wouldn't you? That's right. The incarnation, God became flesh. And then when Jesus passed away and resurrected, that's how the Holy Spirit yes. came about. Now, if I could quote to you, and I can't think of who exactly the, the early church father was that said it. It might have been in my notes when I was studying, but I'm not. Because um, in the beginning, the word was God, and the word was with God. So that's right there. That's right. They were, they were always, Jesus is eternal, just like the Father is eternal. The Holy Spirit is eternal. Let me read to you this thought. This comes from... Uh, a church father named St. Ambrose who lived in the 4th century from Milan, Italy. He was a bishop of Milan. He said this, In the church I know of only one image that is the image of the unseen God. The only image of God that he knows of in the church is the image of the unseen God. God has said about this image let us make man in our image. That's a quote from the book of Genesis. We've heard that before. So he's talking about his image, God's image. Okay. Let us make man in our image. Of this image it is also written that Christ is the effulgence of the glory and impress of the hypostasis. That's a mouthful there. But that was actually a quote of Hebrews 1, 3 that I said earlier. He is the uh, effulgence, meaning the exact representation of God's glory, okay, of the essence of God. So Ambrose is quoting Hebrews, and he's quoting Genesis. These are things that God, in his word, has said about his image. So in that image, I perceive, this is I, Ambrose talking here, in that image, I perceive the Father, as the Lord Jesus himself has said, quote, the one who has seen me has seen the Father, end quote. For this image is not separated from the Father, which indeed has taught me the unity of the Trinity, saying, quote, I and the Father are one. Jesus just said that in uh, several times in the book of John. And again he said, quote, all things, whatever the Father has, are mine, end quote. So in this image also I perceive the Holy Spirit seeing that the Spirit is Christ's and has received of Christ, as it is written, quote, he shall receive of mine and shall announce it to you. Now that's a quote from John 16 that we'll get to eventually. The Holy Spirit has received of mine and will give it to you. Um, I know this gets a little bit deep and hard to follow, but what I'm trying to say to you, if I can, is that Wherever the Father is, the Son and the Holy Spirit are. Wherever the Son is, the Holy Spirit and the Father are. Whatever the Holy Spirit does, the Father and the Son do. Whatever the Father does, the Son and the Holy Spirit do. They cannot be separate. But, at one and the same time, they are not one. They are three. So, let's use the image of Jesus. Jesus the Son. God the Son was born in the flesh on the earth but not God the Father. God the Son died on the cross, but not God the Father. You see, you see where... So there's an essence in which they are one and the same, and there is an essence in which they cannot be divided, but yet they are separate in person. 
Jesus is telling them this. They are not getting it. They are not getting it. Okay, and that's okay because they haven't even received the gift of the Holy Spirit yet. And so sometimes I look at myself and I say, how do I get this? You know, I'm supposed to have the gift of the Holy Spirit. But sometimes I question if I have enough of the Holy Spirit. And I think the answer to that question is definitely, no, I do not have enough of the Holy Spirit. Because here's what I know. You can never get enough of the Holy Spirit. Okay? You can never get enough of the Holy Spirit. He's all, because God can never be exhausted. And so in this world, you and, at whatever level you kind of grasp what we're talking about this morning, that the, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, these words of Jesus, at whatever level you grasp it, it's okay. I'm not going to grade you, and neither is the Father or the Son or the Holy Spirit. And say, so you guys, have I been with you so long? Yeah, I haven't figured this out. God's not saying that to us this morning. He's inviting us to just go deeper. J.I. Packer, great evangelical writer of the 20th century, teacher of theology at, I think it's Trinity Divinity School, somewhere up in Vancouver, Canada. J.I. Packer said this in his book, Knowing God. That's the title of the book. If you haven't read it, read it. Knowing God. And he said this. He said, There is nothing, and this is a loose paraphrase of him because I'm not reading it out of his book here. He said, there's nothing better for we humans to do, mankind to do, humanity to do, than a deep, profound musing. He used that word, I'll quote that, musing on the Godhead. When we say the Godhead, we mean the Trinity. Okay? Nothing better that we can think on. And muse. What does it mean to muse? It means to ponder. really ponder it, to ruminate about it, to let it sink in and think about it, to meditate on it. No, there's nothing better for us to meditate on than this God. Why? Because God, will, he goes on to say, J.I. Packer goes on to say, God will always take you deeper. There is no end to God. So therefore, we can never become too holy. We can never become too knowledgeable. We can never become too close to Christ, our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We never can. So when we hear him telling them uh, this, that we want to try and enter into what they were thinking. Just like we said, this way, truth, and life was something they've heard before. Israel was the way. Israel was the only truth. Israel was the only life for the people of God. There there's no equality to Israel. You know, the pagans weren't equal. They're the way, the truth, and life. So they heard that. But what they also heard was Jesus saying, I am the way. Jesus didn't say, the Father is the way. Yahweh is the way. Israel is the way. Jesus said, I am. So now they're hearing something new. Ooh, everything we've ever been taught, it's about you. That's what they're hearing. But then they also, when he says, I and the Father are one, if you've seen the Father, if you, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Okay? That's, that's blowing their mind. Because in both the Greek world and the Jewish world, okay, the idea of God was, was unseeable. Okay? Like, like St. Ambrose wrote, the only image we have of God is an, un, is an invisible one. Okay? In the Old Testament, he's... 
You remember in Deuteronomy, I think it or, 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 where is Exodus? Exodus chapter something, 22, 23, 33. Exodus, <laughs> Exodus 33, I have it in my notes here. In Exodus 33, do you remember when Moses wanted to see God and God said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to pass by you, but all you'll be able to see is my backside. Remember that story? Go back and read that this week. Because no man can see my face and live. That's what God said. Where's that at? That's in Exodus chapter 33. No man can see my face and live. Moses saw the burning bush. He saw the glory of God in that burning bush, but he didn't see God face to face, okay? He saw the glory of God, and it changed him. It says when he came down from the mountain, he was glowing from being in the presence of God. People were a little bit afraid of him. And, and, and so... What, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get you to see is the Jewish people, they heard this, and these disciples are Jewish, and they're, if you've, Jesus says, you've seen me, you've seen the Father, this is blowing their mind because God is unseeable to them. The Greeks, when this whole gospel message eventually goes out to the Greek world, it hasn't yet, but that's what the church will do, take it to the Greek world, to that means to us Gentiles. And, and it goes to the Gentile world, and they think it's something, because in Greek philosophy, in all of Greek thought, God was invisible. God was totally spirit and invisible. Okay, There's no way they could fathom what Jesus is saying to them. But they will when the Holy Spirit comes. They will when the Holy Spirit comes, when he gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then they're going to go out and change the world then they're going to be armed with the power to go change the world. And what is that change that they bring to the world? What is that power? Jesus talks about it at the end of the passage we read. Before he gets there, I'll just comment on verses uh, uh, 10 and 11. Jesus is telling them, if you don't believe me, at least believe the works that I do. I mean, if that's the only level you can believe today, but at least believe the works that I do. I think that's a good word to us today. Because I'm trying to talk about some things that, I, believe me, as a teacher of this Bible study, I don't understand all this. I'd be arrogant to say I did. But I have faith to understand the, the Holy Trinity. Okay? Because it's the only way God can exist. I've shared with this with you before. I had a wonderful breakfast this week. I have a theology breakfast once a month. With a round, it's a round table, although we don't sit at a round table usually. We used to. It's a different restaurant now. It's an oblong table. And, and, and it's just a variety. Whoever comes that month, if you all want to come, you're welcome to come. We have a Catholic. We have me. We have a Mennonite. We have usually a Baptist. We have uh, November and December. November and October and November, I mean, we had two Mormon missionaries came and joined us. Um, but we always have, and we've, the last few months we've had a deist join us. I might have told this story, but not the newest part of this story, but I've talked about the deist. You know what a deist is? A deist? Okay, it's said that some of our founding fathers of America were deists. George Washington supposedly was a deist. You know, Thomas. A deist is an, is an, is, it was a way of thinking of God that they believed in God, but they believed he, was, he created the world and then just let it be and has nothing to do with the world. He's, he's not, he's just the great, started the, wound the clock and let it go, you know, that type of God. And, and that's a deist. They, they, deist would definitely not embrace Jesus Christ as God, definitely would not embrace 
uh, the Christian concepts of the Holy Trinity. And so as we're talking around the table, I don't know how the conversation got on, on to uh, love and the Holy Spirit, and I made this comment to them, and I've made this comment to you. I said, you know what's really helped me? I wasn't addressing the deist. I was just talking to the group. I said, what, is, what really helped me to come to a fuller embrace of the Trinity was this idea when I really learned that love cannot exist in a vacuum. And God is love. Love cannot exist. And I've said that to you in here before, weeks, months gone by. Love cannot exist in a vacuum. Alone, in other words. There has to be someone to love. Okay? And God is the essence. His essence is love. The only understandable way is to know that before all worlds began, there was the Son, like, like our faith teaches us, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And there was this eternal exchange of love between the three of them. Okay? The eternal exchange of love. And the deist says, wow, okay, I can get that that means a duality. But, but how does that prove the Spirit? But he, he got as far as to say, wow, I, I guess I could see that is proof of Jesus being God. So that's a huge step for a deist. Okay? And oh, at the table this month, we had a Catholic priest. He joined us. One of the Catholic friends was able to bring the pastor of his church, his associate pastor of his church at St. Patrick's, Father Jacob. First time I'd met him. Wonderful guy. And we had that, and, and Father Jacob jumped in and started to try and explain this concept of the spirit. And we had the most amazing conversation. I wished I was, I wanted to take my pen out and take notes, but I didn't have anything to write on. Um, but I think that's where we're going to pick up next month. We meet once a month. I think we're going to come back to this idea of, because we saw, I saw this, we're not there to convert anybody, okay? We're not there to convert the deist or the Catholics not there to make us all Catholic. We're just there to love and respect one another. And listen to one another. And dialogue with one another. And eat together. Like we talked about last week about the importance of eating as a sign of, you know, when we talked about Jesus and Judas at the table, eating with, you know, you can't be enemies with people and eat with them. Okay? So, um, that was the belief in in the ancient world and it should be our belief too. So, I say all that to say that Jesus is saying, if all you can do is believe in the works that I do, that's good enough for today. So right here this morning, if all you can, you've got enough works that Jesus has done in this world, enough miracles, enough people to testify that he was truly resurrected from the dead. The Christian faith is not a blind leap. It's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty founded in reality that if that's all you can do, that's all you can do. That's okay. But be open to God taking you deeper than you've ever been before. Every time you open his word, every time you pray, every time you read. Every time you study, every time you worship, be open to God taking you deeper than ever before. And so Jesus goes on to say, for truly, truly, I say to you, because here's why I said their belief is what's going to change the world. When they embrace this after the Pentecost and they are filled with the Holy Spirit, they go out and they change the world because Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me. In other words, he who believes that I really am in the Father and the Father is in me, he who will embrace the Trinity, he who will do that will do greater works than me. What in the world did Jesus? That's a promise of Jesus. The person who really believes in this will do greater works than me. Okay, we want to think about that. Let's put a circle of number one around that. That's a big promise. 
And then number two, he goes on to say, in fact, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. And the Father, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's number two. Two huge promises from Jesus. And those promises, fulfilled in the lives of his apostles as they went out, changed the world. In fact, conquered the world. Christianity became worldwide. Even so much so that the Roman Emperor, 300 years after it started, the Roman Emperor became a Christian. Emperor Constantine in the early 300s. And, and, and so there's something to this. So let's talk for a little bit in our last 15 minutes or so about these promises. What did Jesus mean when he said that if you believe what I'm telling you, you will do even greater works than me? Do you ever think of yourself as being able to do something greater than Jesus? Through the power of God, you're able to do things in your belief and your faith. Mm-hmm. Makes the ability stronger. Yeah. Does that make sense? I, I can see where you're going because I think there's a couple of ways to look at this. It's an amazing thing. Look at look at Peter. Let's just look at Peter, James, and John in the book of Acts, chapter four. They're walking. This is after Pentecost. They're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay. In the book of Acts, chapter four, and they walk by this guy at the temple steps, and he's you know, lame and begging, been there for years. And Peter stops and says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And the man stood up and walked. Wow. Could Peter have done that before? Absolutely not. He wouldn't have dreamed of it. But why was he able to do it? There's our question. Why was Peter so, and James and John, I don't know, Peter gets the credit because he's the one talking, I think. They were all three together. Why do they have the power all of a sudden? Let me use the word confidence. Why do they have the confidence to all of a sudden say, I say to you, rise and walk? Yes. Because they believed in Jesus' teachings and they had confidence enough to exercise the Holy Spirit and they asked Jesus' name. Yes, I believe, yes, yeah, I believe they are walking in their belief. Jesus said, he who believes that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me and and can ask anything in my name and I will do it. We so misunderstand this. Number one, we rarely have that kind of confidence. I don't know that I've ever had that kind of confidence. You know, I, I haven't. There have been sick people I've wanted to pray for and heal and wished I had the gift of healing that I've never been able to just walk up and say, be healed. Because I'm afraid they won't be. Okay, and then I'll look like an idiot, and they might think bad of God, so I don't want to do that. But if I had heard God telling me, Brad, you're gifted for this, I'm giving you this calling, go do it, which is what Peter, James, and John heard. They were going out to be Jesus in their world, and that was greater than Jesus doing it, because Jesus is God. (laughs) <laughs> when you want to stop and think about it, it's not that great of a deal. He's God. This is amazing. God can do anything he wants. Would what she but for said, them to do it, wow. Would what she said be the same thing as your faith is so strong that you have that ability? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, this, it's all, this is all coming back to how strong is our faith. Now, does, God, does that mean that if we just walk out of this room believing all of us are going to go walk out and heal everybody around the streets? No, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean that anything is possible in the power of God if God is the one moving you to do it. Okay? Because that's the second part of the promise. The second part of the promise is whatever you ask in my name. Let's, let's see if we can understand that. Brad, yes? And, and just, you know, like the Bible says, having faith um, like a mustard seed, you know, mm-hmm. when you're praying for somebody for their healing, and sometimes healing doesn't take place here on this earth, but it takes place in heaven. And, um, right. Right, absolutely. What does it mean when Jesus says, ask in my name and the Father will do it? We must spend time on this because this is the the most, perhaps one of the most misunderstood parts of our lives as Christians. Because he is the way and so you have to ask with your hand to ask for whatever you're wanting. Yes. And so you must somehow be close enough in your relationship with him that when you're asking for it, you're asking in his will, not your will. I have, a, I have the MST version now, uh-huh. and it's, it's kind of unique. He's talking about you know, telling them that they can do uh, things, and they can do even better things. And he says, whatever you request, along the lines of who I am and what I'm doing, mm. Along the lines of who I am and what I'm doing, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a little different take. As long as you're in my vision, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. your own. Who's leading, God or you? Yeah. yeah. Okay. When you're confident that God is the one leading, God's the one doing. That's but in my experience, too. And like, in, like I had a, a stint, and I believed. Mm-hmm. I asked him, I mm-hmm. believed, and I deepened on the table literally died and woke up and they were all looking at me and I told them they said how can you be so positive I said because I, the Lord I trust in Jesus Christ and he, he will heal me mm-hmm. Amen. and he did Beautiful. but I could not do it on my own Right. I couldn't doubt I couldn't let go and do it on my power Yeah. I had to continue to stay in that faith that makes sense? yeah sure I think we need to be careful with our language sometimes because as evangelicals, we think we have to end every prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't we? Were you taught that? Come on, be honest. You were taught that. I was taught that. We have to... If you don't say it that way, it's really not a prayer. <laughs> when Brent came, when he first came here, he was he was he he would say the prayer and the service and everything else, and we caught him a couple times he didn't say in Jesus' name. Yeah. And I hit him up about it, and he explained it to me. Well, you know what? It's yeah. not necessary. It's not necessary. In fact, not only is it not necessary, it's not historical. Okay? The ancient Christians, they have no record of ancient Christians and apostles just ending every generic prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Okay? And what they ended most of their prayers with was in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Because if they were anything, they were Trinitarian Christians. And, and this whole idea of what Jesus is teaching, what the Father does, the Son does, what the Son does, the Father. And so it was paramount to the earliest church 
to the disciples as well as the church now. Sure, Peter said, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. You know, yeah, that's it's a little different. But what I'm talking about is the prayer of our hearts. Don't feel that you must say these words in, you know, in Jesus' name, amen. That's not going to prove anything or do anything. Okay. It's okay. Well, it's okay. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. It's okay. But absolutely. But but what I want you to do is I want to take you deeper into understanding the nature of prayer. Now, little, I'll put a little shameless plug in for my next class. It starts next week on Wednesday night, and the 301 class in the Apprenticeship of Jesus series. The 301 class is on prayer, and we're going to go deep into what prayer really is and what prayer is really about. So if you really want to learn about prayer. What time? Come. What time? <laughs> 6.15. Every week at 6.15. 6.15 to 7.30. And we'll have a little food. We'll have a little light supper together, and, and we'll learn. And it's an experiential class. These, these classes are experiential. They're not just lecture like this, although I certainly will be teaching. Uh, but you, I don't, right now, I don't even know how many weeks it's going to go because I'm trying to be led by the Spirit. I don't know how deep he's going to take us, but he's definitely going to take us somewhere. Um, and, and here's what I want you to, I, I found this earlier. This is what I wanted to read, and I found it earlier. This is uh, talking about what we're talking about right here. It's St. Augustine in the 4th century said this. So then, with all these ways of speaking, we still have to understand that the activities of the divine three, meaning the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that the activities of the divine three are inseparable. So, that when an activity is attributed to the Father, he is not taken to engage in it without the Son and the Holy Spirit. And when it is an activity of the Son, it is not without the Son and the Holy Spirit. And when it is an activity of the Son, it is not without the Father. Uh, And when it is an activity of the Son, it is not without the Father and the Son. That being the case, those who have the right faith. Or better still, Okay, I love these words from Augustine. Or better still, those who have the right faith, or better still. That's not just a dramatic pause. I lost my words on the page. Okay. (laughs) You ever do that? You look up and then, okay, I'll see your words there. Okay. Should use my finger to follow along when I'm reading. Okay. Okay. Um, Or better still, the right understanding as far as they can then they know well enough that the reason it is said about the Father, quote, he does the works, that's what Jesus said in our text today, is that the works have their origin in the one from whom the co-working persons have their very existence. The Son, you see, is born of him, meaning the Father, and before all worlds, eternally. And the Holy Spirit proceeds primarily from him, meaning the Father of whom the Son is born, and being the Spirit common to both of them. So you can see in the words of St. Augustine there, he's, 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 he's wrestling with this text, the, the very text we've been reading and studying today, and he's trying to get us to see. These three right here really are inseparable. It's one God. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's who... So, interestingly enough, Jesus never ever, he did say here in my name, but what does his name really mean? If his name, when, when we actually see Jesus telling us to go and pray, what does he say? Two different times in the great commandment, I mean the great commission, he says, 
Go into all the world and baptize. And baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say go baptize them in my name. Baptize them in the name of Jesus only, like some of our Pentecostal brothers and sisters think. Um, and then in the Lord's Prayer, how does Jesus pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In fact, when they ask him, how do we pray? He said, here's what, this is all you need to know about prayer. It's not to close every prayer within Jesus' name. It's to pray to the Father. Jesus always prayed to the Father. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Right? Forgive us our trespasses, our sins, as we forgive those who've trespassed or sinned against us. And lead us not in the way of temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's what the actual text says in the Greek. Deliver us from the evil one. And guess what? It ends right there. That's the end of the Lord's Prayer. And you're saying, no, 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 I was taught. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. It's so beautiful. I love that. But that's not the end of the Lord's Prayer. If you even go back into the text, go to the, go to the scriptures, go to the gospel, and you'll find it's Luke and Matthew, and I think it's Matthew that adds those words. I can't remember now if it's Matthew or Luke. But one of them adds those words and one of them doesn't. And around those words you find brackets. Those brackets tell you those were added in later manuscripts. As far as we know, the earliest words of Jesus were to just end it right there. Deliver us from evil. Okay? For thy... Now, what, when, we, when we hear it say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Okay? That's a beautiful... Why was that added? Because it's the natural expression of the way God's people began to worship. The Lord's Prayer was used always in corporate worship. They, couldn't, they wouldn't think about worshiping without praying the Lord's Prayer together. And they would pray it responsively. And that was, the, that was the doxology at the end. So the minister, whoever was leading the service, would pray the Lord. They would pray it together. Okay, He would lead them. Our Father who art in heaven. And then at the end, well, here's what we have in some very early recorded liturgies. When, he, when Jesus said, uh, when, when he gets to the end where it says, uh, and deliver us from evil. Okay, Then the, they were all saying it together. The minister would say, we have this in some very early recorded liturgies in history. Deliver us, Lord, from every evil and grant us peace in our day. In your mercy, keep us free from sin. Protect us from all anxiety as we wait in the hope of the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then the people would all say together, for the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours now and forever. And even in some of the ancient prayers, it says, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. So, it's a very responsive thing. Yes? I like to hear the Lord's Prayer song, too. I found that so prayerful to sing the Lord's yeah. Prayer. And, and do you ever sing it in your heart? Just driving down the road? That's beautiful. Okay? And, and you know, singing prayers is beautiful. Um, I, I, I spend a little time on this in the book that I wrote last year about life and death in one of the chapters. And I talk about this idea of singing Singing, the Psalms are singing. The heart, all the ancient worship of the churches of antiquity, the first thousand years anyway or more, 
of Christianity were always sung. No, it wasn't spoken. It was always sung. Every prayer, every word, everything was sung. Isn't that amazing? Um, so, why, do I lead, why did I lead you into all that? Because I wanted you to hear that in Jesus' name is not some magic phrase. Okay? It's not some magic phrase. It's not something you have to do or you feel guilty. Oh, I didn't say it in Jesus' name. You know. It, 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 the prayer, and you come to the class and we'll learn about this. Prayer is the utterance of our heart in communion with God. And so the goal of our prayer, when we want God to do something for us, okay, that should be the first check mark in our spirit that says maybe this isn't his will because I want it too badly. Okay? So it's not about what I want. It's about what he wants. So real prayer and really praying in Jesus' name, as he says here, is about discovering what his will is for us, not what we want him to do for us. And that's why at the end of the morning prayer that I gave you, you, some of you are newer in class, so you don't have it, and I can bring one to you. But there's a morning prayer that I've given to the class here that's a morning prayer from St. Philaret, who was a bishop in the Russian church in the 1900s. And he, at the end of that prayer, if you'll remember, it says, teach me to pray. Pray you yourself in me. Real prayer is when it's not me asking and praying. It's the Spirit of Christ praying in me and through me. Wow. Then, when he leads you to do something, you're going to know it's his will. And you're going to say it, and it's going to happen. Because he, it's his will, not your will. I, I know this is heady stuff. I know it. It's already 12.05. But can we sing the Lord's Prayer? Can we sing the Lord's Prayer? Do you want to lead it? I don't have I'm not real good at that. <laughs> oh, that's good. You know, it's a hard song to sing. It really is because it's the, the only tune we the only tune we really know is the tune of that aria. Almost is this great choral composition. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry, but let me get a drink of water. But to close our time today, it would be fitting for us to pray together. We open in our scriptures together. Let us pray together. Let us pray the Lord's prayer together. Okay, let us pray together. And we'll use the trespasses, not debts, because we're not Presbyterians. <laughs> That's a joke. I love the Presbyterians. Okay. Uh, pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, ever and ever. Amen. It's okay to pray that together, okay? So just because I taught you it wasn't in the original, don't, don't be not praying it. It's okay. Thank you, everybody. It's good to be with you today. Happy Valentine's Day again. Happy Valentine's Day to you. Thank you. This has been Forming the Spirit Within. I'm Roger Culver, inviting you to tune in next time as Pastor Brad opens God's Word, helping us to form the Holy Spirit within us. Until then, may grace and peace be with you.